0: what's up guys welcome into dog central on a thursday evening i am graham coffee this is as always the dog central youtube channel uh wanted to hop on this evening i am uh as you can see not in my usual spot here on vacation uh in the outer banks north carolina so i am uh (laughs) broadcasting from the guest bedroom uh in my in-laws beach house but uh Season's getting closer. We're, you know, moving towards uh, towards football. This Saturday is our last Saturday without college football until mid-January. And uh, with that going on, felt like I better hop in here, give you guys the latest and greatest. Hope everybody's doing well this evening. And, uh, yeah, I uh, hope that this is coming through okay as well not sure exactly how good my wi-fi is here so uh if it's not apologies but uh if any of you are watching live on youtube let me know how the quality is uh, if you get the chance so i want to start out this evening talking about what we're hearing out of georgia's fall camp if you haven't Subscribe to dog central already, then you're missing out on, uh, what I feel confident in saying is the most camp Intel that you're going to find anywhere on the internet. It's in the Georgia internet, I should say. Awesome. Thank you, Dallas. Um, but we are going to share some of that here tonight. So, uh, the biggest takeaway for me so far through fall camp like, there's, there's been a lot of days where different guys have flashed. Um, you know, you, you go through your first scrimmage, and, and I felt like it was pretty normal for a first UGA scrimmage, just in the sense of, like, yeah, there was there was guys that looked good, but maybe a little uh, rhythm kind of chemistry issues between wide receivers and quarterbacks, uh, some drops. You know, th- those are fairly normal things to hear about fall camp in – at this point in the season, right? Like none of that is, is too shocking, but what's really turned my head when talking to sources has been just the amount of buzz over Georgia's 2023 class. Um, spoke to a few people over the last week that I talked to on a regular basis. And th- these people are, you know, they're, they're experienced football people, right? Like they've, they've seen a lot of guys, come in and out of not just Georgia's programs, but other programs that they've been associated with. And so uh, I value their opinion because they have seen lots of players and they don't tend to get too high or too low about anything or or overreact very much. Um, Just the the unanimous opinion, honestly, has been that UGA might have – have its 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 best class, like in the Kirby Smart era in this group that they brought in for twenty twenty three. Um, this this set of edges that they have with Damon Wilson, Nazir Stackhouse, Gabe Harris, there's there's people in the program that already feel like they've got three first rounders in their twenty twenty three edge group, which would be insane. You know, having, having one out of uh, three edge signees would, would be fantastic. But Georgia really, really likes what they have with those guys. Uh, you know, da- Damon Wilson, freaky bend, freaky athleticism, excellent speed rusher. Uh, still learning some things from a technique standpoint, still learning how to use his hands the right way, but you're talking about a guy who, like, just has those natural pass rusher characteristics in a way that Georgia maybe hasn't had a ton in years past. Um, They've had some very productive guys at that, at that kind of Jack linebacker position, like Aziz Ojolari, Nolan Smith. Like there's, there's been some very big names to play there, but they haven't, Really had like that prototypical long, lengthy, explosive, uh, kind of pass rush specialist. I shouldn't call Wilson a pass rush specialist because, like, I, I think he's physical enough and they, they feel confident that he's going to be able to play the run. But what they have there is very interesting because you look back last season and when Nolan Smith got hurt, like, that that edge position became kind of a an issue for them at times, right? Like there, there was times where, you know, they maybe would normally have played two of those more athletic kind of outside linebacker style players, but they, they left a, a defensive end in the game with Robert Beal because they didn't maybe trust too many of the guys behind Smith in certain situations. Chaz Chambliss had some great moments and he's had a really good camp, but, you know, there were times last year where he didn't set the edge super well in the run game. I think what's exciting for Georgia fans is, you know, if you've been waiting on that guy that's that's going to come in and, and really kind of be that, that sack specialist or, you know, that, that guy that you know if he lines out wide as a seven tech on third and 13 is, is almost always getting to the quarterback. I think they've got that in, in this edge class. And the – Thing that really stood out to me in talking to sources about about that trio of, of Wilson and Harrison and Pimba, uh, not just you know kind of how college ready those guys are physically, but also the fact that they are already playing up to kind of the the standard of physicality that Kirby Smart expects from everybody on Georgia's defense. Like, I, I talked to a source last week and asked about Gabe Harrison and Pimba, and they were, he was just like, those two guys are physical as shit. Like, they they are thumping. You know, they're, they're not trying to do what younger uh, players who, who come in at that position often do, which is to, you know, try and shoot gaps and use their speed and athleticism to get around tackles like they did in high school. Like, those guys are trying to go through offensive linemen on every play. And so I think if you're a Georgia fan, it's a lot to be excited about. There's a, a lot of potential in that group, and I think that it could add a little bit of a, a new dynamic to Georgia's system, right? Because in 2023 – I'm sorry, in 2022, what do we see a lot? Like, we saw if Georgia wanted to get pressure, then they, they really needed to do that from the inside linebacker position most often. Like, they were bringing Mondin and Dumas Johnson – as part of their pressure packages pretty regularly. Um, You know, those guys were coming up the middle and operating off delayed blitzes, or, you know, they they would bring one of them to to come off the edge and and sit with just kind of a a single uh, inside linebacker there. So I I think I'm interested to see how – these guys look, cause there's going to be opportunities for them to play early in the season, right? Like Tennessee Martin ball state, those guys should get on the field. And, um, as, as good of a player as I think Chambliss is, you know, I think this, this kind of triple threat that they have in this freshman class, I don't know which one of them is going to come out as kind of the, the top dog, so to speak, in terms of depth chart or, or reps, but, One or multiple of those guys I feel like is going to end up kind of, you know, playing a significant role in the story of Georgia's season. In addition to Marvin Jones Jr., who uh, is kind of the one guy that Georgia has signed previous to this 2023 class that has that length that we talk about. You know, he's a legit 6'5", 6'6", long, lanky, uh, you know, ha- has kind of the, the traits and characteristics of your um, your classic first round f- draft pick from the NFL uh, for for a pass rush specialist. So I think that it'll be interesting for us to kind of find that out. But good reviews on those guys so far. Uh, other things that have stood out from scrimmage one that I think are, you know, kind of worth knowing for, for public consumption. And, uh, I, I would just say like, there's literally, I think almost maybe a a couple thousand words of, of scrimmage notes on, on our site right now, like Jason and myself between us, we posted three different updates. Um, but the, the interesting thing, even, you know, this early in camp is that, A lot of people feel like gunner stockton is gonna win that that job for for being quarterback too uh this is carson beck's team i don't think there's a legitimate competition happening for the starting quarterback job at georgia right now i think that was kind of put to bed back in the spring but stockton looks really really good um you know he's he's come in and I think he's playing very well. I think he's, you know, doing things that some people might have not realized Gunnar Stockton could do. Um, I think there was questions from some people about his arm strength. I think there, you know, there was was questions about uh, his ability to just kind of pick up all the nuances of college offense. And going back to early last season, you know, I, I think a lot about one of our sources saying that, you know, Beck, other than Brock Bowers, was, was the guy on 2022 Georgia who spent the most time in the film room, spent the most time working on his game, you know, doing all the little things, preparing like like a starter, even as a, a true freshman who was, was not going to see the field and, and knew he wasn't going to see the field. So uh, I think some of that preparation for Gunnar Stockton is starting to pay off in a major way. And you're talking about a kid who is really starting to kind of flourish and come into his own and making some tight window throws that he wasn't making uh, this time last year or even back in spring practice and making probably most importantly the right decisions with the football in terms of where to go with it. That's not to say he hasn't had turnovers in practice and you know hasn't had bad moments, but the growth curve for him – you know, it's 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 kind of starting to hit that little exponential spot where uh, it's really accelerating and, and he's improving almost by the day, it sounds like, and I, th- I think that's, you know, something uh, something to watch because Brock Vandegrift, he didn't leave this this offseason, right? There was a lot of people that thought he, he might transfer after spring. He decided to stick it out. Some people have speculated that might – because, you know, he, he can't transfer within the SEC right now. But um, through almost, what, half of spring pra- or fall practice, a little more than half of fall practice, like people feel like Gunnar Stockton has been the more consistent guy. So um, why does that matter? Because, look, I mean, in 2017 we spent all preseason expecting – Jacob Eason to be the guy for Georgia, and then, then he got hurt, right? Like, like in, injuries happen, and even if it's something as maybe, you know, simple as Carson Beck gets dinged up on a, a play and has to come out for a third down in a big game, and Kirby Smart doesn't want to waste a time because, you know, it's it's not going to be worth it at that point in the game, or maybe – Maybe you have a situation where, you know, Beck has a, a minor injury and, and you know, can't play for a week or two. Like, you want to trust your backup quarterback, and you also want to trust that your backup quarterback is preparing like a starter. And I think that everyone in that building trusts that Gunnar Stockton, if he gets his number called in any situation, whether that's with the second string or the third string or, you know, as a – as a starter in an sec game somewhere down the road, like that kid is always prepared. It sounds like, uh, you know, he, he is a student of the game and, and he's ready and he's worked very, very hard to understand what Georgia wants to do and how to protect the football. And I think they're going to trust him to do that if, if they need to. So, um, yeah, Greg says Gunner has the arm strength. I watched him as a kid. Go Wildcats! Go Dogs! All right, yeah, we got a little Raven, Raven in the house tonight. Thanks for chiming in, Greg. Um, another piece of significant news this week: uh, Lawson Lucky's injury. It's been pretty well reported on. Uh, you know, we've reported on it. at Dog Central um, underwent a surgery yesterday, and uh, we're we're hearing two to four weeks right now for him. Obviously, that a lot of that's going to depend on. How he rehabs, you know what what it's like for him when he starts to put weight, not just on that ankle, but when he tries to change directions on that ankle, can he, you know, handle the stress of uh, being an inline blocker on that ankle? You know, there, there's a lot of questions that will have to be answered, but you know, I, I think the timeline that I'm hearing right now makes me hopeful that you'll see Lawson lucky at some point this season. And I think it's important that you do. I, I don't think Georgia needs Lawson lucky to roll through the first couple months of the season, but I think there could be a time where they do need him at some point this season. Cause he's a player that they loved this spring. And, you know, Kirby smart talked about lucky in a way that you rarely hear him talk about a freshman. Um, and it's cause he's, He's earned it. He's a tough kid. And I think if you look at kind of the composition of Georgia's tight end room now, uh, Delp has put on some weight this offseason. season. Uh, sounds like he's having a good camp. I think he's improved his blocking, but, um, after Bowers, I think lucky was kind of the most natural blocker that Georgia had in that tight end room. And Pierce Sperlin is a big kid, you know, six, five, six, six, um, He's got the size to be a good blocker, but he spent his high school career playing wide receiver. So, you know, this is all a learning experience for him right now to try and understand how that's going to work and where he's going to be. And, um, yeah, like I I think it's just not going to allow Georgia to run as many of those 12 and 13 personnel sets as – they might like to if if they're without Lucky, because a lot of the reason we saw them run those sets in the past was, in, it involved getting numbers advantages in the run game uh, from from a blocking standpoint, and so probably won't make season, make sense to put him out there. Uh, otherwise, B2B Visor says, uh, "Wake me up when talking season is over." I know, man. I feel you. I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm tired of not having football to digest, but I guess you know the next closest thing is having some some scrimmage intel to chew on a little bit. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else here worth discussing. Uh, one of the questions that I got tonight, which which kind of ties into some of this this fall camp conversation. What position group would potentially derail Georgia's chances for a 3 P if I had to pick one? Um, I think right now, you know, you, you go across the board. You you trust everything up the middle on defense. Um, I think the boundary corners, Lassiter's getting back into – to form, he's he's back, you know, practicing. I, I wouldn't say he's maybe 100% yet, but he'll be there soon. Um, so you go over to the offensive side of the ball. I, I struggled between picking basically, uh, you know, I, I still have questions and want to see things from Georgia's interior uh, on the defensive line. Uh, I think the offensive line is probably the, the most known commodity on the entire team, but uh, the running back room – People say that running backs don't matter or that they're, you know, kind of replaceable or whatever in, in modern football. I don't agree with that. Like, I mean, like, I feel like, yes, at a certain point they are, but I, I think that you, you go through and look at some of the running backs that Georgia's had in years past, and Georgia has had difference makers at running back. Like, not even talking about the Nick Chubbs and the Sony Michels. Obviously, those guys were difference makers. But even on last year's team, Kenny McIntosh is one of only three SEC players this century to have, uh, I believe, 500-plus yards receiving, 800-plus yards rushing, and 10-plus touchdowns in a season. And the other two were Percy Harvin and Dexter McCluster. Like, that is, from a schematic standpoint as an offensive coordinator, having a guy in the backfield – who can do what Kenny McIntosh could do as a receiver. Really, really dangerous. Like, very, very outstanding, honestly, to to have because it just creates so many conflicts for a defense. And any time he goes out, you know, on a flare pattern or motions out to the top of the formation, like, a linebacker or somebody, a safety, has to follow him. and. Uh, Georgia had that with James Cook in 2021 as well. Like we saw, you know, in 2020 and 2021, we we saw multiple times where Georgia basically motioned him to be a boundary receiver and and hit for a, a big long touchdown play on on that. So, I it's not to say that Georgia doesn't have plenty of talent in their running back room, but it's just, you you have concerns about the health of some of these guys right now, right? Like Kendall Milton, uh, you know, still struggling with that hamstring injury that, that happened to him on the first day of fall camp. Uh, Edwards was a little hobbled at one point earlier in camp. You know, he's, he's back rolling now. Uh, and then you, you go past those guys, you have a lot of unknowns, like, Andrew Paul, I'm told, was running with the twos at, at certain points uh, on Saturday in Georgia's last scrimmage and that he looked quick, looked good. But he's coming off an ACL injury as well. You know, how, how healthy is he really? How much kind of wear and tear can he take? How hard can you push him? Uh, you, you definitely don't want to, you know, try to rush him back from an injury as serious as an ACL. And then you go after that, you know, Savon Clark coming back from the transfer portal looks like a pretty big deal right now. Um, I know that we haven't, you know, seen him have a ton of action in regular season games, but he was playing running back uh, with, with the first team guys on the opening drive of G day and did some nice things, you know, had, had a touchdown run where like he, broke tackles or got away from a a few of Georgia's first-team defenders, right? So, like, that's not insignificant. Um, The guy that – you guys are going to, like, maybe laugh at me or think I'm crazy, but um, the guy that I would keep an eye on is Cash Jones. And that's not – you know, totally speculative. Like he was also running with the second team in the scrimmage on Saturday, and, and he's extremely fast and extremely shifty. And uh, I think, yeah, Edward in the comments here says it really well. Um, or I'm sorry, uh, Greg in the comments, Cash might be the best receiver out of the backfield right now. You know, after Dejan Edwards, it's just kind of I think a. Uh, a very open competition and a very fluid situation in terms of who's going to see carries and uh, you know, who, who's going to see uh, targets in that running back room. And, and Georgia doesn't, they don't have to target their running backs as receivers early in the season. Like it's not something they need to do, but um, it was a very fundamental part of this offense in 2021. And, I think it, it could be an important piece for them as they, they get further on down the road. So, uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, last thing I want to talk about from a position battle standpoint, um, that would be the battle for that second cornerback job. And, um, you look at playing boundary corner in Kirby Smart's defense. What do you got to be able to do? You got to be able to do a lot of things, right? You got you to gotta be athletic enough, obviously, to stick with wide receivers. You got to be good enough with your hands to play press coverage and stay on people's hips. Uh, but I think the most important quality that you have to have to play anywhere in Kirby Smart's defense and particularly anywhere in his secondary is you got to be able to tackle. Um, That's been a three-man race for as long as we've been talking about the 2023 depth chart, right? Like ever since that 2022 season ended, we've known that Dalen Everett and Nylon Green were going to be part of the battle to be the second cornerback and then over the spring it felt like Julian Humphrey kind of threw his hat into the ring and that's a kid who at one point I, I'm not sure many people thought he would still be at Georgia at this time you know when when he came in uh, maybe wasn't a natural fit right off the bat for Georgia's kind of culture and, and the Georgia way. And it's not to say he was a, a behavioral problem or anything like that, but just uh, the athletes and the coaches in that building, they pride themselves on intensity and, you know, really, really, really working extremely hard. They, they pride themselves on physicality and, you know, no-nonsense kind of behavior and Humphrey I think is a little more naturally a a free spirit uh he's also you know stepping on campus as a kid right these guys are kids when they show up at Georgia in many ways they're still kids when they leave but um Humphrey struggled last last fall in fall camp and thought hard I think about transferring after this season and then much like we saw with Amarius Mims a couple years ago, right? Like, he decided that Georgia was where he wants to be. And when that happened, something kind of flipped for him. And all of a sudden now, we started hearing, hey, he's making plays in spring practice. Hey, like, you know, this kid is very athletically gifted. And, you know, on G-Day, I was down on the field and, Uh, You know, I I caught him from kind of a side view at one point where I couldn't see his numbers, and just based on how he was built, I thought I was looking at Malachi Starks, and then, you know, he spins around, and he's actually number 12. Humphrey has had a very, very good fall camp. Uh, There there are some people that would say he might have had the best scrimmage of, of anybody last Saturday until he got sick. Um you know, had had a little stomach issue in the middle, but comes back Monday in practice, and he's making plays again, and he, you know he's back at it, and he, he's playing really well. So watch out for him, because I think a lot of people thought, hey, if it's you know if it's if it's not Nyland Green, it's going to be Dalen Everett, or if it's not Dalen Everett, it's going to be Nylon Nyland Green. Julian Humphrey is. I would hesitate to say maybe the leader for that battle right now, but like he is very, very much in that battle. And uh, I think that battle is probably going to end up going into the season, but uh, either way you're talking about an electric type of talent that was a former five-star for a reason and is starting to kind of put everything together. And that's the value in recruiting, right? That's the value in what Kirby smart has done. Uh, You know, not just over one class, but over, class after class after class of building that blue chip depth. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a spot where, Hey, you know, we, we thought it was going to be one of these two former, like, you know, top 40 overall players, top 50 overall players, but actually it's going to maybe be this other guy who was a former top 30 overall player. Uh, And that's just a luxury that a lot of college football programs don't have. So, um, wanted to touch on that, and then we will get into your questions. Um. All right, so let's hit it off with the questions here. Sacred Grove, you think Big Baby, that's Jordan Hall, will make us forget Bear? He was rated higher than him. Um, I think those guys are different types of players, and we, we've talked about that before with sort of Bear Alexander. Um, Bear was very much a, like, pass rush D tackle, especially in a program like Georgia. Um, yeah, he flashed at times last year, but – those were almost always times where he had an opportunity to shoot a gap. Uh, you know, Georgia, they want those guys playing in the middle to, to two-gap more often than not and to, to be responsible for, you know, either, either side of themselves in terms of what hole the running back might come through. And I think Jordan Hall has probably more potential as a run stopper at the defensive tackle position, and I think that that's what Georgia needs the most because uh, they've they've got a lot of guys that I believe are pretty natural from a, a pass rush standpoint at the DT spot. But I, I think you can never have enough D tackles that can that can play the run and and really you know plug holes and uh, force offensive lines to double team them and believe that big baby Jordan Hall could be one of those, but I, I think that him and bear, I know they play the same position, but I think even if they both were in the program right now, they, they would have played kind of different styles. Um, we're going to take a second here to thank our sponsor. That is home field apparel wearing one of their beautiful t-shirts right now, as you can see on the YouTube feed. Uh, HomeField really supports us, so we ask you to support them. They do a great job. They make tons of awesome designs, lots of throwback apparel, and this podcast is one of the only places anywhere that you can find a 20% off code for HomeField apparel. Um, If you use code DOGCENTRAL23, you can get 20% off on your first order uh, or on any... Uh, first order from a particular email, they do a great job. We've got some big things lined up with them for later in the season, some exciting events, and uh, we would love, love, love for you to check that out. All right, moving forward a little bit. Corey asked, does UGA get one of Aiden Breelander, or LJ McCray? Yeah, I think they do. Um At this very exact moment in time, I probably feel a little, I think I might feel a little more confident on Breland, honestly. Um, I think Georgia leads there at the moment, but we'll see. So one of you asked, Edward, what's the biggest influence currently on nailing down recruits for 2024? So I'm assuming that what Edward is asking is, you know, what what do recruits want, basically? And the truth is that that answer varies drastically from person to person, you know, depending on the recruit and their – maybe their situation, their family's financial situation, maybe, you know, their their athletic ceiling. Um, There's some kids that can afford to – delay gratification so to speak and you know try to try to really capture the big money when they become a first round draft pick and they they can see that vision of I'm going to come into a program and I'm going to you know I might sit for a year, year and a half, two years and and then you know start for a year or two and then go to the NFL but by the time I get to that process this group of coaches, this group of nutritionists and strength Coaches, They are going to help me get to my athletic peak. And because of them, I am going to, uh, I'm going to be a first round pick or, you know, I'm going to be a second round pick. And when I do that, I'm going to make millions of dollars. That's one type of kid. And that's, that's a Georgia kid in a lot of cases. And then there's also, you know, the, the kid that, uh, that wants the NIL money right now and, you know, wants to get the most of it. And, hey, like, I was never a, four, a five-star recruit or a four-star recruiter or, or any star recruit for that matter. Um, I don't blame anybody for cashing in when you get a chance to cash in because there are so many unknowns in life and, and kids get injured and things happen. But, um, yeah, I, I think – there's programs that are willing to basically you know put out large large Nil numbers that that schools like Georgia just aren't and so you you know you're seeing you're seeing Georgia lose out on on some kids that I think if all things were equal if it was three or four or five years ago they end up at Georgia but uh, today you know there's there's just different values. And the frustrating thing for a staff like George's is like you spend all this time recruiting a kid and building a relationship and uh, you have the track record to sell them on in terms of putting kids in the NFL at their position. And you can point to all the, the career earnings of all those players that you developed at their position. But if it comes down to that 11th hour and, you know, maybe, maybe they or someone else, who's a decision maker in the process says, you know, we want to make the most amount of money that we possibly can right now out of this decision, Georgia's not going to win that recruitment. They're just not, you know, and that's just how it is. Um, So that's, that's where things are now, but I know that's not maybe the, most exciting thing and that's actually brings me to something i wanted to talk about which is uh i've been working on the next entry for the the 23 for 23 se- uh, series that that we've been doing on dog central which is kind of a, a series of long-form reporting on different uga football figures uh who i think are the most significant to Georgia's program and machine and and their chances to hit a three-peat. With Carson Beck, you're talking about a really, really rare story, Uh, especially for the NIL thing. You know, like, in this day and age of NIL, Carson Beck hit the portal. He probably, you know, could have... Solicited some some good offers, right? Like he probably uh, would have had a decent market value out there. There's there's not a ton of six four, strong arm quarterbacks with quick releases that have you know learned under Todd Monken for multiple seasons available every year, and it's very very normal for quarterbacks to do this. I, I believe the number is sixty two percent of starting quarterbacks in the Power Five this year will have transferred at least once in their career if we're going off projected starters for 2023. So it's kind of interesting to sit back and, you know, ask yourself, why did Carson Beck stay? And I remember after the Vanderbilt game last year, I was – going through, you know, post-game interviews with, with different players. And uh, we we got Stetson, and we were asking him questions, and reporters were asking him, you know, what was it like seeing this player out there making plays or, you know, kind of asking different questions about uh, some of the, the reserve players. And someone was like, well, you know, what, what about Carson? And he was just kind of looked, and he was like, yeah, I mean, Carson – He's been doing this a long time now. Like there, were was some players where you could tell, like you you looked at the young guys, or you know, kind of were like, oh, it's great to see that that guy out there learning and uh, getting an opportunity. But with Beck Stetson, was just like, yeah, you, we're we're equals pretty much at this point, right? Like he knows the offense as well as I know the offense, and and you know, he's been in this system with Monken as long as I've been in this system with Makin. And I thought that was kind of fascinating to, to think about because he's right. Like, Beck came in to Georgia's program a long time ago, and he's waited a long time for this opportunity. And there's never been a lack of talent for Beck, but I think that the unique thing for Beck is that he – earlier in his career had it amount of self-awareness that you often don't see in former blue-chip quarterbacks. And, you know, he's spoken pretty candidly at different points this offseason about, hey, uh, there was that moment leading up to the 2021 UAV game where they thought, you know, a lot of people thought I was going to start that week, and he had a bad week in practice. And Georgia went with what they thought was the safer option at the time, who was Stetson. And all of a sudden he went out there and he lit up UAB and the rest is kind of history. But Beck also knew that he wasn't ready and understood that there was more that he could do and that there was ways that he could mature as a football player, as a person, as a leader, as a student of the game under Georgia and under Todd Monken and, you know, not under, but – but behind Stetson Bennett on the depth chart. And as this whole season plays out, there's a there's a good chance that, that Carson Beck's going to become a, a national name if he isn't already and that he's going to get a lot of praise and a lot of eyeballs on him. And as that happens, I, I think everyone should remember the decisions that he made along the way, you know, the decision that he made after the 2021 season to, to not leave Georgia and to understand, Hey, you know, back, back in September when they chose Stetson to start over me, I know why. And not only do I know why, but I agree with it. And I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to challenge myself to, to be accountable for those things. And, I think he did a very good job as a, a backup last year and, and, you know, prepared to play and, and did things really, really well, but that was always Stetson's team in 2022. And the moment that that season ended, it was just like a flip, a switch flip for him. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I think he pushed things to an even higher level, not to say that he wasn't working hard before, but he worked harder than he ever had. And, I think he understands the moment and that he waited for the moment. But I think maybe most importantly, he understood that he needed to wait for the moment and that he wasn't ready for it for. And kudos to him, right? Because he could have gone a lot of places and probably could have made some money in the process of doing it. Probably could have had something close to guaranteed playing time at different power five programs, but he waited. And not only did he wait, but, like, he used that time to to better himself and to improve as a football player. And now he's having an outstanding fall camp. Late uh, last week, someone told me, you know, Carson's been so consistent that we'd like to see him have kind of, you know, a bad day so that we can see how he – bounces back from it and then I think he it sounded like he did struggle uh, early in in Georgia's kind of scrimmage style practice on Saturday but at the end of the practice super sharp you know really really strong in third down drills and red zone drills and I think that's a very good sign if you're a Georgia fan and and I think that Georgia's staff is kind of trying to create adversity for him right now and uh, give him opportunities to kind of pick himself back up after a bad play because that's what you need to do on the road in the sec after you throw an interception or have a, a bad ending to a a drive. But if I'm a Georgia fan, I'm pretty excited to see this dude because it, it sounds like he's having as good a camp as, as we've seen out of a Georgia quarterback in, in a while. And, uh, he may have the type of year that ends him back up, and you know, he Georgia might send another quarterback to New York this year. Who knows? I I'm not predicting that to happen yet. I'd, I'd like to see him, you know, start a college game first. But um, there's a lot of really positive buzz about Carson Beck right now, and it's gonna be fascinating to see if it translates. But either way, I think. He's kind of earned himself maybe a a special spot uh, in the the eyes of some Georgia fans because he didn't leave when he could have. So Eager to see how that plays out. All right. Um, If any of you have other questions, throw those in. I do have some stuff to get to from our Dog Central listeners. All right, Robert, this is a good question. Thank you, Robert. Um, What is your prediction for the top three players in receiving yards this year, in order? So, obviously, this is for Georgia. Uh, I am going to... Well, number one's got to be Brock Bowers until it's not Brock Bowers, right? Like, I, I think that's a known commodity at this point. Um, so, the we'll, we'll say he's number one, although it wouldn't surprise me if he's not this year, especially without Darnell Washington playing beside him. Um, I... I'm gonna go Brock Bowers number one. No, you know what I'm not? I'm gonna go Dominic Lovett number one. I think in Lovett, Georgia has a guy who's a, a true separator, and I think because he has Brock Bowers next to him and Lad McConkie <laughs> next to him and you know all these different studs that he's He's going to have a pretty special season for UGA in in 2023. So I'm going to go number one, Dominic Lovett. Number two, Brock Bowers. And I'm still going to say Lab McConkie at number three. And uh, I've said this before on the show, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year that Georgia finally gets a, gets a thousand yard receiver and everybody is able to uh, kind of end that narrative this is an interesting question from Cam here. Was there ever a time you had any doubt in Kirby Smart as a head coach in any way and he proved you wrong? If so, in what way did you doubt or question him, and what changed your mind, if you can remember? Yeah, so uh, I'll be the first to call myself guilty. Uh, (laughs) Y'all are going to laugh, but back in 2017 or I should say late 2016 I was not a member of the media or anything like that at that point in time I was just a dude that followed Georgia football but uh I didn't want Georgia to hire Kirby Smart just because of the track record of every other Nick Saban assistant who had been hired in the SEC and that you know those track records were poor right so I wasn't really into the idea um I wanted like Tom Herman or somebody that would come in with a like a a good offensive track record. Um, I probably would say that I the moment that I got rid of any Kirby Smart doubt was uh, the 2017 game in Knoxville. I went to that game in Neyland Stadium with my dad. You'll recall that the score was 41 to nothing. But morning of that game, I picked my dad up at the Knoxville airport. I was living in Asheville, North Carolina at the time. And I, I drove over from Asheville to Knoxville. And uh, we were staying out at the, the airport hotel there in Knox, Vegas. And grabbed him off the curb drive 300 yards down to the hotel and we're turning in the parking lot. And there's a, a couple big charter buses out there and a bunch of Georgia players are kind of standing around outside. And one of those was the uh, Jake Fromm, who was about to start, you know, his, his first sec road game. Obviously he'd already won a road game as a starter at Notre Dame, but, Fromm was uh, out there and he just looked cool as a cucumber, and super relaxed and not nervous. And I remember walking inside the building and, uh, you know, passing a bunch of other Georgia players. And Nick Chubb came walking by. You'll recall that in 2015, Nick Chubb had torn his ACL in a terrible, horrible gruesome injury in that same stadium up there in, in Knoxville. And a lot of people thought he might not ever play football again. It was that bad. And I thought to myself, I wonder how he feels today. Come to find out later that the night before that game, Chubb had gotten up and spoken about, spoken about the day he injured that knee and the the road that he had traveled to get back. And the, the recovery and the, you know, before the recovery, the, the time sitting there wondering if he'd ever play football again. And at that point, I think that game was over. Georgia was going to win that game come hell or high water. But I'll never forget walking past him because he just had this 1,000-yard stare and he already had these big beads of sweat on his forehead and he was, just, he was ready to go play football. You know, he was locked in. But my entire life, most of my life, I watched Tennessee beat Georgia. I mean, my childhood was filled with a 13-year drought where Tennessee had, had beaten Georgia, I believe, nine straight games going back to 1988. Um, I was born in 1989, right? So, like, I remember being a young Georgia fan – being, thinking, like, Georgia's literally never beaten these guys in my entire life. Uh, in 2000, I was at the, you know, the game where the goalpost came down, where that Quincy Carter-led UGA team finally broke that streak. But point being, Tennessee had been a tormentor of Georgia's for a long time until Mark Rick showed up, and, you know, that program went through some some ups and downs, but if you think back to 2017, like they had beaten Georgia the year before on the Hail Mary, they had recruited really well under Butch Jones. There was there was a lot of talent on that team. Obviously, wasn't always managed very well, but you're talking about an SEC road game against a a legitimate rival. Like those are tight battles. Those are those are kind of tug of wars, and oftentimes they come down to a couple plays or or even one play, but you don't go and win those games 41 to nothing. Almost ever. Even if one of the teams sucks, which that Tennessee team obviously ended up being really, really bad. But when Georgia went up there and came into Neyland Stadium, and that place was a hornet's nest, right? Like, it was loud. And early in the game, I believe Georgia – had kind of a weird, fluky turnover, but it was type of type of play that happens early in upsets and that gets crowds into football games. And then Georgia, I mean, their defense obviously was suffocating that day. They they held Tennessee to a shutout, but just they, they came back down the field in a really methodical way, and at some point in that game they figured out that uh, there was a run play that they ran in, in 2017 uh, that I believe it was Isaiah Wynn that would – that would kind of pull around from, from across the formation. And that was the day that that play like clicked. And it was like somebody in the the box finally realized, Hey, we, we blocked this play really well. And they just started running it over and over and over. Uh, But sitting there and watching that whole thing go down. And by the time we got to the second half of the third quarter, all of Neyland stadium was just basically empty except for Georgia fans. And, there was these chants of UGA, UGA, UGA echoing off all the exposed metal in that stadium because there wasn't any butts in those bleachers, and you could hear, you know, Georgia's, Georgia's band playing from way across the bowl, which you can almost never hear a visiting band in Neyland Stadium because they're just drowned out by the by the pure like amount of noise and humanity. That was the that was the game. That was the game for me, where I was like, "Okay, like this guy might be the guy for Georgia," because I mean Georgia hadn't ever beaten Tennessee forty-one nothing. Might not ever beat them forty-one nothing again, and it won't be because they don't have a lot of good football teams. But it's just like I said, you don't win games on the road in the SEC like that against teams that you know. If, won a national title in the last 20 years. So that was when uh, the doubts kind of were answered for me. There was – like with any coach, there were – like I never really thought the 2018 – all the controversy around Fromm and Fields and all that. I always thought that every time we saw Fields, it was clear why he wasn't the starter. And – The fake punt is one that you can question, but you can also ask yourself, you know, Fields' job was to get that off as quick as possible before Alabama could shift into defending that into a different formation. And he didn't. So, um, it wasn't just the call. It was, it was also the execution on that fake punt in that 2018 SEC championship game. But yeah, I've, I've been a Kirby smart believer for longer than a lot of people. Um, hell i mean in the in the lead up to the 2021 season you know some of the first notoriety that i ever got uh from a media standpoint in a more like viral significant way was uh because i called into i got into an argument with a radio host from uh the upstate of south carolina about whether or not kirby smart can develop and you know told me to come on his show if i Thought I was right, and I came on the show with a lot of data and explained to him how every five star that Kirby Smart had recruited to that point in his Georgia tenure had been drafted. Um, So I don't know, we don't have to go (laughs) all the way down that wormhole, but yeah, uh, I think I've been on the, the smart train for as long as most people have, or longer than most people. Hello, Randy. Hello, Joseph. Thanks for jumping in tonight. Um, Question here about Carson Beck. Are people underestimating his mobility? Uh, Yeah, I think they might be. Like, I I think there's a chance they might be. Um, I don't think he's – he's not mobile in a Stetson way. But I do think he is more more fast. I shouldn't more fast. I sound like an idiot. I think he's faster than a lot of people realize. Um, I, I think Beck has some legitimate straight-line speed. And what he really has from a quarterback standpoint is, is what I would refer to as functional mobility. Carson Beck can move the pocket and deliver accurate footballs. Um, and his predecessor was like that too. I you go back and look at Stetson, especially in twenty twenty one, anytime he was struggling, they got him a throw on the run and it would kinda get him back in rhythm. I don't think Carson Beck is like that in the sense where he's more comfortable maybe with his, his feet moving under him, delivering the football accurately, but he can he can roll right and deliver some dimes uh, go look at that Vanderbilt throw that I posted on Twitter earlier today like he's a better runner than people realize uh, you, you saw him do it against South Carolina last year like we've seen him come into games and kind of keep some of those uh, zone reads and even if that's just a a once a half or a once a game kind of thing as long as he and Mike Bobo will establish that he will keep it, that will help Georgia's running backs tremendously uh, to to find more more lanes and and better better holes, and um, they will they will do themselves a favor if they let him run a couple times a game. Uh, definitely want to see him in terms of kind of a, a dodge the pass rush standpoint more, just because we. We haven't really seen him in a situation where like a a blitzing linebacker gets a free release and, you know, what's he do? Is he able to have kind of some of those those quick, agile movements to to dodge one of those guys and, and then get out of the pocket enough to throw the ball out of bounds without getting an intentional grounding penalty? I don't know. But if you can do that, that will be big for Georgia this year as well. So it's a good question. It's something to definitely – watch early in the season. Um, Okay. So Hunter wants to know about wide receiver depth. He asks, sorry, the way this is worded, confuses me a little bit. Um, What if Lab McConkie and Dominic Lovett both went down? Who would come in and play in their place? Uh, And he's basically saying he feels like Georgia has great depth at the X receiver spot. Uh, But if McConkie and Lovett went down, would Georgia be in trouble? So I guess a couple things I would say to start. um, I think Lovett and McConkie might be pretty interchangeable pieces this year in the sense that uh, I expect – both of them to play at the Z position and I expect both of them to, to take snaps in the slot. So, um, you know, if, if one got hurt, then you can kind of flip flop them around. I think Georgia has got tons of guys on their roster that can, that can do things at Z. Um, Arian Smith is, has played more snaps at Z than anywhere else in his career. Uh, people think he's a slot receiver, but he's been a Z receiver to this point. I think we'll see him more in the slot this season. Uh, but he's a Z. Um, Yazid Haynes, another guy that has been playing there. Uh, you know, Anthony Evans kind of could go back and forth between there and the slot. Um Dylan Pell has the skill set to move over there. You'd like to, to keep him. I think he's more natural at X, but uh, he's a very good route runner, and he has very good feet and very quick feet, so I, th- I think he can run the tree of of what they, they want their, their Zs to do. I might argue that Georgia has better depth at, at that kind of Z position than they do at the X position. I know that they got Rosemee at the X and Rara Thomas, obviously he's an X receiver. He's a true X receiver. Dylan Bell has emerged there a lot throughout this off season, but I don't know who comes after those three guys in the, the X rotation. You know, like, not sure if they have a true X from a, a size standpoint, like a, a natural X. Maybe Tyler Williams if, if he were to, you know, develop fast enough. But I, I don't know that he's far enough along to, to be really someone I would expect to be ready to go out and take first-team reps at, at the X position this year. Um, you got to remember, like, they want those – they want all their receivers and skill players to block very well on the perimeter, but it's kind of particularly important with that X because a lot of times that guy's isolated on one side of the formation. And if the defense is in man coverage and he's able to, he's able to knock out his defensive back that that's across cross from him, the X receiver that is, then all of a sudden whoever has the ball in their hands, like they might have a one-on-one opportunity with the safety and that could be the only thing that's between them and a touchdown, right? Like, that was one thing that Georgia was exceptional at last year was uh, blocking well enough on the perimeter to to get their their most agile ball carriers into situations where they just had to beat one guy. So, uh, that would – yeah, with the Z, I think they got plenty of options. um, But, you know, what would that order be exactly – is is a very fair question and probably still a lot to be determined there throughout the, the next kind of couple practices of fall camp and then into the, uh, into the 2023 season. So I hope that answered your question, Mr. Hunter. Um, okay. Last question from subscribers. Comes from June recruiting fearmonger. And it's basically about how will Georgia manage Carson Beck early in the season? Uh, so basically, with the first two games being cupcakes, do you think Carson Beck stays in the game longer to get more game reps? Or do you think? they pull him sooner to get both Brock and Gunner I would say it all depends on how he's playing <laughs> um I think the last thing that Georgia wants to deal with, that Kirby Smart wants to have hanging over him is like any sort of quarterback controversy going like as they go into the season. I think Beck is the guy I think they feel like he deserves to be the guy. I think the body of work and practice says this is the guy. But, uh, you know, people like me, people in the media, you have a guy like Carson Beck, you know, maybe he's playing Tennessee Martin, comes out a little a little rusty, has like a, you know, a 9 of 16 for – 103 yard type performance with a one touchdown, one interception, just just kind of a middling performance. And then you take him out, and all of a sudden that backup comes in, and he's loose. He's got nothing to lose. He's wheeling and dealing. He's he's free and throwing it all over the field and starts making big plays. Then you got a you got a problem on your hand, is what you got. So I think if Carson Beck comes out in those first two games and he's smooth and he's, you know, 10 to 12 for a couple hundred yards and two touchdowns at halftime or something like that, then, A, you want to keep him healthy. So get him out of there for that reason. But, B, we were talking about Gunner earlier in the, the show. I, I think it's important for Georgia to get him reps or Brock, you know, whoever they decide that second quarterback is going to be. And um, maybe they use – the, the second half of some of those early games to, to try and figure that out. We'll see. But uh, that's definitely a good question. And I would say the, the more successful Beck is early in those games, then probably the less he plays. so All right, that is tonight's show. Um, again, if you have not joined us over on dogcentral.com, please come do that. Uh, you can, you can ask, ask anybody that's subscribed to our site if they're happy. Uh, at 699 a month, we provide as much or more Intel. I think more Intel in a lot of cases than anybody in the Georgia media space. Um, that's not a knock on anybody, but there's, there's a lot of great UGA media outlets, but, uh, and, and often, oftentimes, you know, I, I think we're giving you uh, maybe more thorough picture of what's going on in certain situations. Um, lots of long-form content, lots of stats, lots and lots of uh, kind of football nerds type stuff. And uh, I think we have a, a tremendous community where people are able to have respectful interactions and – that is an increasingly rare thing, not just in the world, but especially on the internet. So come check us out, dogcentral.com. We are currently running a uh, kind of fall camp special. If you join now, you can basically get a month for free, and you will get access to uh, the 350-plus page season preview that uh, Josh Hancher, a.k.a. Dog Stats, put together. Uh, covers every Power 5 team. If you bet college football, then you'd be silly, honestly, not to get your hands on that that preview. So um, even if you don't join Dog Central, you should still check out his preview. You can find that at dogstats.com. But, um, yeah, that's tonight's show. Uh, Josh and I will be on early next week to to try and get through the rest of our win total uh, pods before, before we hit the season. And – obviously, to break down what happens uh, in Georgia's next scrimmage. So thank you guys for joining us, and thank you all for uh, participating in the chat. Always makes the show more interesting and more fun when you're interacting with us in real time. Until later.